0: Been in a series in the book of Romans. We've been going through Romans for a bit while. This current series in exile together, and I I plan out. I try and plan out what to say, looking at the passages and how it had split up. And last week we looked at verses 23 to 33. Paul's plans to visit Rome and his request for prayer afterwards. As I was going through this series, I realised that I'd actually given a talk in 2007 on the last four verses, just the prayer, and I actually shared that talk at a retirement village recently and um, I thought, gee, this is, a, I thought, a powerful message. And so I've decided to just speak on this prayer today, which is a talk I gave way back in January the 7th, 2007. So if you, you were here then and you've got a great memory, you'll be bored. But um, you might be bored anyway, <laughs> I can't guarantee that. Um, but I think this is a, an, important, an important message and a part of what it means to live as an exile in God's kingdom, in God's community and to be people of prayer. So let's pray and ask for God's help as I share this message. Father, give us understanding of your word and your purposes and give us a willingness to live by faith, a greater willingness to live by faith and to talk to you and to come to you in prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every month in our bulletins we get... Uh, a prayer notes at the start of every month. And on those prayer notes, I left them over in my chair. I was going to read some for you. There are prayers for every day. So today, prayer notes says pray for bubbles. And it's got a few things to pray for. Pray for Richard Tavender's ministry. Pray for Switch ministry. Pray for Christine Dillon. And every single day of the month, there's a prayer request. Something to pray for from the life of our church. In fact, if you have a look at your bulletins today, as is the usual practice on the back page of your bulletin, there are prayer requests. In fact, today, if you look on the third page of your bulletin, there's two special prayer requests for Isabel Jefferson and for Margot LeCompte. Christine Dillon, if you are on her email list, she sends out uh, updates made in Taiwan at the end of her update list, there's always pray for this, prayer requests. And she lists them. If you go to our Thursday night prayer meeting, the first thing we do and we gather in the back room, we sit down and we list out things to pray for. Some of them are ongoing, some of them are current. If you're in a small group, my guess is, that part of your time you spend praying and you might sit around in a circle and share prayer requests, things to pray for. All of these people are saying, pray for me or pray for us, pray for this situation and it's a good thing to do, to share (coughs) prayer requests. Please pray for me, but it doesn't make any difference. And should we take it seriously when people say, pray for me, Is it just a news update? Well, This morning in our series we're looking at a very small prayer request that Paul puts at the end of his letter to the Romans. It's just like Christine's email. It comes at the end and there's only two prayer requests. In verse 30 Paul says, Pray for me. He uses a lot of words though, maybe because he's verbose, but maybe this is because this is really, really important. Verse 30, chapter 15. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join with me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Basically he says pray for me. But he begins by saying... I urge you, brothers and sisters, I entreat you, I beg of you. Will you pray for me? Because this is an urgent engagement. Please don't ignore this. Pray for me. In fact, he says more than that. He says, I urge you, I I beseech you, brothers and sisters, to join with me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Prayer is a lot more than just closing our eyes and letting our minds drift on certain matters and say, yes, God. Hoping thereby for a good outcome. Prayer is an urgent engagement. It's saying, would you help me? Would you join me in the battle? That could be translated, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to fight alongside with me. In your prayers to God for me. At the end of his letter to the church in Colossae, Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ, Jesus, sends greetings. That's good, hi Epaphras. That's good dear. But then Paul says, Now he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras wrestles, he struggles, he fights, he... For you, that you might be mature, knowing all the will of God for you. If you've ever done any serious praying, perhaps far far too many of us do far too little of it, but if you've ever done any serious praying, and sometimes circumstances that put you on your knees means you do serious praying. If you've ever taken someone's prayer request seriously, you'll know that it's an urgent engagement, it's serious business, it is hard work. Because you're involved in a spiritual battle. You're doing something that Satan does not want you to be doing. And it takes effort and discipline and persistence. It's so urgent to fight alongside in prayer because the outcome depends upon you and your prayers. I hope you're all horrified at that statement because it doesn't at all. The wonderful truth, when we wrestle in prayer, the glorious freedom we have in our fight is that the power and the effectiveness of our prayers does not come depend upon our strength, how strong I am at wrestling, but upon the Lord's strength. I'd like you to note in this very first verse how Paul's request for prayer refers to all three persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit because they're all involved enabling and empowering us as we wrestle in prayer. Each phrase in turn, Paul says firstly, Pray to God for me. We pray mostly by default to God the Father. Creator of all things. Who is ably, more than able to supply all our needs and do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We pray to God the Father. And we pray, as Paul says by the Holy Spirit or through, no, by the Lord Jesus Christ or through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, the Son of God, through his death and resurrection has opened up the way to the Father. He stands alongside us. All prayer is in Jesus' name. It's just we tack it on to almost every prayer and it's a good habit. We pray in Jesus' name because that's how we pray, Amen, through Jesus. Finally, we pray the third phrase by the, the love of the Spirit, or through, again, through the love of the Holy Spirit. This is the love that God has wrought in our hearts by His Spirit, which changes us and worlds within us a desire and a love to pray for others and to take, therefore, their prayer requests seriously. That's because of the love of the Spirit to pray for others. See, what does a spirit-filled person look like? I think one of the greatest marks of a truly spiritual, spirit-filled person will be that you will find someone who is eager and persistent and informed in their prayer for others, such that they make prayer an urgent engagement. If you like, proverbially or literally, they spend much time on their knees, wrestling, In prayer, because they've been motivated by the love of God's Holy Spirit. So, can you see what an important matter it is when someone shares a prayer request? You're being called into an urgent battle as a reinforcement, you're being called into the rugby team to play your part in the battle, in the fight. To lay your body on the line, your heart and soul and will. A prayer request is not a news update. It's not a little note saying, please don't forget me. If you look in our bulletins on the inside, you've got two prayer requests there from the Jefferson family and from Margot LeComte. Yes, you look at the one about Margot, it's actually a news update. But it's so much more. Join with me in the battle because it's hard. And I need your solidarity and your presence. It's a call to arms. It's an expression of faith. Recognizing that we need God's presence and power in every circumstance. That's what Paul is saying just in that one verse when he says, Pray for me. He's got two simple and quite specific prayer requests in this prayer. Verse 31. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. The Apostle Paul has been travelling all over Asia Minor and Greece, what we today would call Turkey and Greece, sharing the good news of Jesus. He's been preaching to both Jewish people and to non-Jewish people in public areas, in synagogues. He's been telling them that Jesus of Nazareth is is Lord, he is God's Messiah, promised to his people and he is the only way for salvation. Repent and believe in Jesus, there is no other name by which we may be saved as we just seen. And Paul has been having a very difficult time because he keeps preaching to pagan idol worshippers, to these non-Jews and saying "You've you've got it all wrong, you're worshipping false gods and he threatens their whole system of the way their society functions and he threatens their sense of identity and willfulness and Paul preached to Jews in their synagogues and some accepted his message but many rejected Paul just as the pagans did They thought, the ones who rejected Paul, you're overthrowing the law of Moses. You're telling me to stop being a Jew. Jewishness and its traditions is is my entire identity. They don't like that. And look, you keep hanging out with these non-Jews and aren't we God's chosen special people set aside and they're filth? This is a total betrayal of Judaism, Paul. So Paul's been having a hard time and now he is on the way to the Jewish heartland, as he says, in service of the saints in Jerusalem. And there were many in Jerusalem and many of them were probably his old friends who wanted this Christian movement, this Messiah Jesus movement stopped dead in its tracks. It is wrong. It is anti-Jewish. In fact, they wanted Paul dead because he used to be one of us. And now he's proclaiming this Messiah, Jesus. And the movement's growing. Kill him. Paul goes back to Jerusalem. That's a risky thing. Can you see Paul says, Pray that I might be delivered from those who are disobedient to God when I go back to Jerusalem. Second request that Paul ask the Romans to pray for. It's quite similar. Pray that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, to the Christians who are there. Now what is his service? Paul, he's told us a bit earlier in this passage which we didn't read, he has a very clear goal in mind. Throughout his travels Paul has been collecting funds, money, for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. See there'd been a big drought in the area of Jerusalem. And there were many, many poor people, but particularly for those who became followers of Jesus as Messiah, they were persecuted, they were pushed out of society and they're struggling as outcasts, as exiles in their own city. If we go back a bit before our passage, Paul says, Now I am on my way to Jerusalem in service of the saints there for Macedonia and Ikea, that is basically churches in Greece, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles, and the non-Jews, share in the, shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Paul is bringing a collection of money. have got to carry it physically. To the church in Jerusalem. And it's very important because this collection of money will say all of these Jewish, non Jewish, all these Gentile, non Jewish churches, they care for you. They're part, we're part of the same family and they have given to meet your need, your very real physical need. Because we are one family under Messiah Jesus. God's intention was always to unite all people as one body, His people, like we did in our memory verse, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. And Paul's concern is that when he gets to Jerusalem after collecting all this money and taking all these risks, carrying lots of money across the ancient world, that when he gets there they might reject his gift as being spoiled, unclean money that Gentiles have given You're not going to corrupt us with that filthy lucre. Paul's second request pray that my collection for the Gentile churches will be accepted with gratitude as a gift from brothers and sisters in Christ, just as it should be. Now, his two prayer requests rescue me from the unbelievers. May my gift be acceptable, are framed within the context of one ultimate goal. Pray these two things so that, verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you in Rome with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Paul, as he has been telling them, is longing to visit the church, the Christians in Rome. But he wants to get there safely rather than lose his neck in Jerusalem. And he wants to come from Jerusalem to Rome full of joy because he knows his ministry has been accepted. He knows that it's been honoured in Jerusalem, in Ikea, in Macedonia and even in Rome that we are all one family under Messiah Jesus. That there is unity in God's church. And that's what he's been writing about through so much of Romans. that Jew and Gentile, there is unity as the people of God. We've been grafted in to God's purposes, the Gentile. However, there is one caveat in Paul's requests. It's only small, let see if you can pick it up. There's one caveat in these two prayer requests and his hope. Pray these things so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. Did you hear that? Paul says, Pray these things, but recognize as you do that they will only come to pass in accordance with the sovereign will of God. Paul says, I've got some prayer requests, brothers and sisters. Here they are, dear Lord, rescue Paul. Dear Lord, make his offering acceptable. But these will only happen by God's will, because I'm submitting myself to that. Now, what do we do with these prayer requests? You get an email letter from an email made in Taiwan from Christine Dillon. It's got the prayers at the end. What do you do with those? Well, if you're faithful and you're willing to stand alongside and wrestle and join in the battle, you will pray to God for those things. Here we are, a letter from Romans, Paul to the Romans. it has got two prayer requests at the end of it. So when you go to bed tonight, you will bow the knee and you will raise your little hands, however you like to pray, and you will say, Dear Lord, rescue Paul from the unbelievers in Judea and may his gift be acceptable, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a bit pointless, isn't it? Because how long's Paul... When did Paul leave the planet? Oh, about 2,000 years ago. Imagine we found a church bulletin from five years ago and on the back there's these prayer requests. Do you take that home and pray them? Well, my, I imagine that many of those prayer requests will be out of date, just like Paul's prayer requests here are out of date. So what are they here for? What do we do with them? There's no point praying what Paul asks the Romans to pray for. Not us. There's a lot here that we can learn. I believe. But perhaps one of the greatest lessons to learn is to see how the Lord answered Paul's prayers. Because he did. If we see how God answered Paul's prayers that he asked the Romans to join with him in the fight for, you might get a better understanding of how he might be, even possibly be at work in your life and your prayer requests. That you pray for yourself, that you pray for others. Because we find the answers to these prayer requests in the book of Acts. If you like the history of the early church written by Luke. And I'm going to look at the answers in reverse order. So second request... Lord, we pray that Paul's ministry in Jerusalem will be acceptable by all the Christians there. Will be accepted. Good news. Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Paul, Luke writes, When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. Good news. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Thank you, Lord, for answering Paul's prayer and the Romans' prayer. However, it's not all plain sailing, because there were many in Jerusalem many Christians in Jerusalem who were still very zealous for the things of the law. And they they were quite wary of Paul and his ministry amongst the non-Jews. And so they said, "Okay, Paul, you're back with all your money, but we're going to make you jump through a few hoops just to make sure you're still a fair dinkum Jew. And so Paul had to subject himself to seven days of ritual purification to show that he was in himself still a committed Jew who honoured the law. So he was accepted, but a few people said, no, 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 you've got to do this first. Not exactly the outcome Paul had desired, but he went through that process and his prayer was answered, his gift was accepted in Jerusalem. What about the first request? Lord, we pray that you will deliver Paul from the unbelievers, the disobedient ones who are in Judea. Well, Paul arrived safely in Jerusalem. He was accepted by the church and the leaders of the church. So far, so God, let's pick it up in Acts chapter 21, verse 27. When Paul's seven days of purification purification were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd, saying, and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and people came running from all directions, seizing Paul, they dragged him off from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the soldiers saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped them beating Paul. The commander came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had been, had done and some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. and some, the, the, truth, the commander could not get to the truth because of the uproar. So he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him, away with him. Can you see that the danger was very real? When Paul is recognised by his enemies, they attack him and they drag him out of the temple area to kill him. They're beating Paul. They're beating him. It hurts. There's such a ruckus that the Roman soldiers come down and they arrest this guy, they don't know what, and they bind him with two chains. So here's Paul, black and blue. The soldiers say, better get this guy to the barracks. They start moving into the barracks, get to the bottom of the steps, and there are crowds pushing in. So they pick Paul up, black and blue and bloody, Wrapped in chains, and they carry him out of the area into the parrots which are just next to the temple, rescued from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. Hallelujah it says Paul with blood pouring down his face and a fat lip, and sore kidneys. Wrapped up in chains. Just what Paul had prayed for. Well, chapters 22 to 28 of Acts explain what happened next. First, Paul, as a prisoner of the Romans, appears before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and they start arguing. Acts chapter 23. They love Paul. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He's still black and blue. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks again. The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome, says the Lord, to encourage beaten Paul. He's still being delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. As God says, You're on your way to Rome, Paul. Uh, The next thing that happens is the Jews hatch a plot to kill Paul. So for his own safety, the news comes to the Romans. He's transferred to Caesarea, which is a main Roman garrison on the coast. And there he appears before the Roman governor, Felix, where Felix lets him rot away in prison for two years. Some answer to prayer. Felix moves on. Festus comes in as the governor. Paul, this new guy, comes and appears before Festus. Festus doesn't know what to do with him. The Jewish king Agrippa comes down to Caesarea. So he says he appears before king Agrippa and gives his defence and king Agrippa doesn't quite know what to do with him. It's all getting so complicated and still in chains they decide, why don't we send him to Caesar? Off to Rome with you, Paul. God is still answering Paul's prayer. He has been delivered from the unbelievers in Judea by the skin of his teeth. He then entered two years in prison and now he is on his way to Rome. But the story is not over. The boat that Paul sails on gets to the, near the coast of Malta and is shipwrecked. It eventually breaks apart, breaks apart just off the coast and Paul's life is again threatened. But he, along with everyone else on the boat, makes it to a beach, makes it to shore. They go up and they start a fire to warm themselves up and just to settle down. And a snake comes out of the fire and bites Paul on the hand. But he survives. Three months on Malta, Paul is sharing the gospel. And then still in chains, he's put on another boat where he eventually sails to Rome. Remember Paul's ultimate objective? Pray these prayers so that by God's will, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. Right at the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 14, Luke writes, And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. They came seriously out of the city of Rome down to the coast. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Hallelujah. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And so we came to Rome. God answered, both of Paul's prayer requests with a positive yes his gift was accepted and he was delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and he eventually met the Roman Christians with joy but it took almost three years and the circumstances that God used to answer Paul's prayers were more challenging and more difficult than anything I think the Paul or the Roman Christians praying these prayers ever imagined we pray but God is on the throne and he answers according to his good will and purpose And when we pray in response to someone's prayer request, we might, I'm sure as the Roman Christians did, I'm sure as Paul did when he asked for these prayer requests, we might envisage in our minds what the answer to those prayers might look like. Paul walks through the temple in Judea. Everybody has a party when they see his money. Everybody gives him a hug. Three weeks later he jumps on a boat and goes to Rome and they all say, great to see you Paul. That's what I was praying for. That was not God's good will and purpose. It's fine to pray our requests with a picture in mind of what they might be answered like. However, God's good plan and purposes may be nothing like what we imagine. It may lead us into hardship and struggle that we would never choose for ourselves the answer to our prayers may take many, many years longer than we would hope for or consider it reasonable. You would never send Paul to Rome like that. In chains, via shipwreck and beatings and useless years in prison be- appearing before gonzo governors and kings. But you know, God's plans and God's purposes for our lives are best. Paul hoped to get to Rome by the will of God, and he did. And we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that God did such a great work in those three years? Many of Paul's letters were written from prison. Praise God. Do you know that Paul got to share the gospel with kings and governors? He got to appear before Caesar. He got to share the gospel with people of influence, with Roman guards and his message spread in ways that they never would have happened if he just went to cities and towns and stood in, stood in forums and synagogues you know Paul got to preach the gospel in Malta? And believers started to follow Jesus in Malta. It was a time of great blessing as God answered prayer. As a church we've got some prayer requests that we're asking our church family to pray for. According to God's good will and purpose. We have this vision that we've out outlined towards 20,000. This year our program is, we might focus on the idea of being exiles who are fit for mission. People who don't quite belong in this world. People who have a sense of restlessness for the kingdom to come. Who want to work for that mission. You know, that could involve hardship if we're truly going to be exiles. Exiles is not supposed to be a nice place. But that's where we are. That's the people of God. Chosen people, a royal priesthood to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have a goal to be fruitful as a church. We would like within five years to send two teams from our church to something strategic. Losing people en masse. Losing leaders en masse. To grow God's kingdom. I've been in conversations, quite a lot of conversations. I'm concerned that some of these things may, we may have opportunities sooner rather than later. I don't know what God's going to do. But you keep praying. We want to raise up leaders, let's say five, one a year, to raise them up and equip them so that they may go to grow God's kingdom. We want to be more effective at sharing our faith just relationally, not through necessary events, but through the people we live with and meet with and love and have mechanisms in our church to form pathways to help people come to know Jesus. We want to minister more effectively to the poor and vulnerable in a more targeted, focused way. We don't know who or where or what. We're trying to work that out. Who knows where these things will take us as a church? But will you pray for them that God's will might be done? We want to be more effective in our systems and structures so we've got a sense of space to grow. You know, maybe God lets us at times dream dreams, sets burdens on our hearts, not necessarily so that we will fulfill them. Not necessarily so that we'll send out two teams and raise up five leaders and have this super-duper ministry amongst the poor and vulnerable. Maybe so, but maybe God just wants us to step out in faith and pray the prayer and see what he does, which could be far greater than we ask or imagine and far harder than we would ever choose for ourselves, As we walk the way of the cross and sacrifice for the good of others. Prayer is an urgent engagement. Prayer requests a request to join in the fight. In you know, our church we have a value that says we believe that as God's children we are totally dependent upon him therefore we value persistent prayer. and See what God will do according to his will. I'm going to ask us to finish by praying what we call the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to have it up on the the screen. Will you just pray with me that God's will be done? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.